to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we pick up the 2022 season preview, both your Miami Dolphins and the National Football League. We're winding down towards the end here as we go to arguably the most accomplished room on the squad in the back end, the cornerbacks. How Xavier Howard and Byron Jones help maximize this defense as a whole. Nick Needham blossoming from UDFA into extremely productive starter with positional versatility. The theme of long, physical corners who can play multiple roles and find the football and good recovery speed. We'll tell you about the move to bring Sam Madison and Patrick Sertan as cornerbacks and assistant cornerback or assistant DBs coach, I should say break down the individuals, and much, much more. Plus, we pick up the NFL season preview with the AFC South. The Dolphins have one game in that division this year against the Houston Texans. From somewhere in central Washington, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Covering the corners today, covering the guys who typically cover the guys on the other side of the football. And as we do here on these preview podcasts, we start with the personnel changes. And once again, the theme on this defense retention and the departure of guys that just, there wasn't a lot of snaps played on the departure list with the additions so far uh, in the cornerback room. Keon Crossan with the Giants last year, he comes over. Now, Crossan, D'Angelo Ross, who was with the Patriots last year, Quincy Wilson, who's with the Giants, and Elijah Hamilton, the UDFA out of La Tech. All four of those guys are DBs. We're going to go ahead and slot them here in the cornerback room. And then the fifth edition was a cornerback out of Texas A&M Commerce, Cater Cahoe, the fifth edition to the cornerback position. Then the departures, Justin Coleman is really the big uh, in terms of guys that played snaps last year at a high rate, Justin Coleman, the big name on this list. He's at the Seahawks again for his second go around there. Damon Arnett catches on with the Chiefs. Javaris Davis and Chris Milton are still free agents. The incumbents, Trill Williams, in order of jersey number, Trill Williams, Noah Egbenogany, Elijah Campbell, and then those three guys, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, and Nick Needham. Those are your incumbents. We have the personnel changes on the field. We also have personnel changes in the coaching staff, who I probably don't have to tell you a whole heck of a lot about as a under 35, I turned 35 in a couple of months, but an under 35-year-old Dolphins fan, Sam Madison and Patrick Sertan really occupied the golden years. And I, when I use the term golden years, I'm talking about like when you were, I, maybe your formative years as a fan, when you really can kind of reckon back to nostalgia and just get all the good feels you want. I mean, Coach McDaniel walking through that hallway, Ricky Williams, Sam Madison, let's go. There's Zach Thomas. Like, that's kind of all of us, right? And that's all Dolphins fans. But when you're of a certain age, your era resonates with you differently. And so Sam Madison, Patrick Sertan, like... That was it for me. Just a quick aside. This is going to make the podcast longer, but this is a good story. My brother and I, when we were kids, uh, our parents were were split. So we had weekends, you know, my dad's and yada, yada, yada. And we would put um, like 
Sports Illustrated cutouts up on the wall above our bunk beds, and we thought, oh, cool, there's Dan Marino, number 13 for the Miami Dolphins. It was a picture of Brock Marion flipped upside down, who Marion, 31, Marino, 13, that was kind of looked similar, and it took us months until we said, hey, who the heck is Marion? Because we were younger, weren't quite as into the Dolphins at that time, but just a kind of funny story. So Brock Marion, Sam Madison, Patrick Sertan, all those guys kind of made up uh, that secondary of the childhood era of your boy as a Dolphins fan. But now they're coaches here. You know about their production as far as players. And now they're here to, to coach, you know, a, a tandem in terms of outside cornerbacks and Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, who are trying to push that envelope as far as Who's the best Dolphins cornerback tandem of all time? And now they're going to be coached by those guys. And not to mention Nick Needham on the inside and all the depth this group has. The audio of their first press conferences that were kind of held together or side by side is not great. They kind of, a lot of voices involved. So I want to go ahead and just talk about it. From February upon their appointment as the cornerbacks coach in Sam Madison and pass game specialist and assistant defensive backs coach, Patrick Sertan, they talked about the player perspective, about having that lens, not just of a cornerback who has played at a certain level, but an all pro level and guys that have done it here as well in Miami. You fast forward to Sam's press conference in May, Sam Madison, coach Sam, I don't know what you want to officially dub him here, but coach, coach Madison uh, after rookie minicamp in May. And I asked him what would make this weekend a successful one for you and your coaches. And he alluded to understanding the heat and how to manage the body, knowing when to get in the cold tub. And I just think those experiences are invaluable. Again, not just for playing the cornerback position, but doing it here in Miami. Hell, when I talked to Coach McDaniel for the first time on the Drive Time podcast, he referenced his first game as a coach and one of my all-time favorite Dolphins games, which I told him, and he said, well, uh, you know, maybe ease up a little bit. The 2005 opener, if you don't recall, the Broncos were a Super Bowl uh, pick by a lot of pundits out there, and the Dolphins were coming off a 4-12 and campaign in the absence of Ricky Williams. They weren't supposed to win that game, but they outplayed the Broncos in the first half and carried a meager 6-3 lead into the break, only to come out swinging as the Broncos' defensive backs simply could not keep up. Even Coach, in that interview with me, mentioned that they were cramping. We're down to their fourth, fifth, and sixth cornerbacks, and that's how Marty Booker, look, love Marty Booker, loved his game, but even Chambers and Crowder have come on the podcast before and told me, look, he's lucky to hit 4-5 on a good day, but he was running away from the Broncos' cornerbacks that day to the tune of a 60-yard touchdown catch in that third quarter, which was at least 40 yards after the reception. So getting those guys prepared physically and mentally, I think it's a huge step. And you can't say like, well, what do you know? What do they know? They were all pros here for years. So it's not a bad way to be. Uh, how about their coaching experience? So Coach Madison referenced Pat coming back to the assistant side after be, uh, in the, as a first-time NFL coach after taking the legendary American Heritage High School in Florida and Plantation to state title after state title. Then for Sam, he's been doing this for a minute now, and he'll be the cornerbacks coach and pass game specialist. In his role in Kansas City, Madison has coached in three consecutive AFC championship games, reaching two Super Bowls and winning one, but perhaps his most impressive feather in his cap is coaching 2020 fourth round draft pick Legereus Sneed to the Pro Football Riders of America all-rookie team in lieu of 19 cornerbacks who came off the board that year in the draft before Sneed heard his name called. And Madison also coached Tyron Matthew to an all-pro campaign in 2020. He was an all-pro before, but you know, keep the good guy good. And the future Hall of Fame defensive back had this to say, 
about Madison's coaching in a tweet after he after he came to Miami to take the job. So happy for Coach and his family. The Dolphins are getting a real one, player perspective, and technique guru. Duh, that's why he was so great here. He's going to be the same guy every day. Again, talking about technique, just the way he knew how to play different coverages, different route concepts, the inside hand jam, walling guys off, playing bump, playing off, whatever you wanted him to do he could do it. So how about some audio here from coach Sam Madison in May talking about the cornerback room and the close knit nature of that room. And it's the same thing you've heard from coach Austin Clark on the D line and coach Campanelli in the linebackers room. The last couple of podcasts, here's coach Madison talking about the tight knit nature in May of his cornerback room. They like each other, you know, and that's the the great part about it. You know, me and Pat, we were talking about these things, you know, these guys, they hang together, they do things together. Um, You know, that was some of the things that we did in the past. Um, So um, when you have a group of guys that really like each other, you know, they they really care about one another and they don't really care who gets the success. Um, They just want to go out and win football games. And they've been doing some really good things over the last couple of years. Just have to get, um, we have some things that we can work on um, and and they're open to them. because they've been in a rhythm uh, of the things they've been doing over the last couple of years. So when you implement some little small details, it takes some time to gather those, but, um, you know, they're receptive to them. So uh, I'm, I'm really, you know, excited about the group because it is a young group uh, and, and they are willing to listen. And that's the good thing. We have a young group there willing to listen and, and go out there and try to apply the things. And then when it works, they was like, oh, coach, now I see what you're talking about. So, you know, that's what our job here is to try to get them in position, you know, and, and show them little small things, try to help their game and help them become the player that they want to be. So there's Coach Madison talking about his cornerback's room. Let's go ahead and take a look at the group at a glance and just kind of give you a perspective about the construction of this room, the leadership, and all the stuff that makes it really as good as it's been the last couple of years. And the gang's all back, man. So I consistently go back to this quote from Brian Baldinger, who's on the Drive Time podcast before, has a lot of nice things to say about this Dolphins defense and Dolphins team in general. Big Tua fan, love his content. Really smart guy that played the game, knows the game, and can effectively communicate the game. And during the Dolphins' late season push back in 2020, you guys recall the win streak, one and three start, got hot, and uh, found a way to, to push towards the playoffs, then right towards the very end. And he was talking about Xavier Howard and Byron Jones just being really damn good at their jobs and how that frees up the Dolphins to be as aggressive as they like on the front end because they have such trustworthy cover guys on the back end, on the perimeter against the opposition's most explosive playmakers on offense essentially forcing opposing receivers to say, hey, you got to beat us in two, two and a half seconds because that's how long the quarterback has at best before the pressure gets into his face. And the quote from Baldy on this radio show that was in an article as well was, it starts with the two guys that can lock down on the outside. That's the foundation. Pass rushers, yeah. Emmanuel Ogba has eight sacks. You can figure out your pass rush. It's not about the sacks. It's about pressure and what pressure does to other teams' quarterbacks and offenses. Xavier Howard is as good as there is in the game right now from reading routes, from not letting you get off the line of scrimmage, to just sticking right to you and playing the ball in the air. Darrell Revis used to tell me all the time, there's three phases a corner has to win at. He has to win at the line of scrimmage. He has to win on the stem, which is during the route, and then win when the football is in the air. Xavier Howard does all of those things. Byron Jones does them too. He just doesn't have the interception totals that Howard does, but he can do everything. He's really smart. He tackles well, and he lines up and plays every snap, end quote. 
I didn't read that before putting it back into the piece here. It's pretty much what I wrote in Byron Jones' snippet. So we'll we'll be redundant for the sake of telling you how good these guys are. And I mean, look, we talk about <clears throat> the sack and pressure numbers and the picks. The Dolphins have a bunch of takeaways the last two years, and you heard him talk about it right there. It's not about getting sacked necessarily. It's about forcing the issue and forcing the offense to play left-handed and do something that makes them uncomfortable because then that leads to mistakes and that can lead to sacks and takeaways and big explosive plays. Excuse me. So it starts there. And then when you look down the list, depth, similar play styles and skill sets, Noah Igbenogany, I mean, he's truly a picture-perfect athlete when you talk about makeup and build and the skills in terms of how he tests for the position. And of course he is, because he was a wide receiver convert who's typically the most athletic players in the field. And he made strides both years in college at Auburn at his new position, and now two years into the NFL. And his effort on special teams, I think, really shows his work ethic. Trill Williams, another long, physical, impressive guy. Even your new additions like uh, D'Angelo Ross, Quincy Wilson, Keon Crossan, lengthy strikeability, press off a mix of skills. Cater Cahoe had the twitch evident in his testing metrics to click and close the AM Commerce kid and to fire off at a moment's notice and make a play on the football. We had Emery Hunt from CBS Sports HQ on the podcast, was a huge, huge fan of Cahoe's game. Then, of course, you know, Nick Needham, the guy that just shows up and does his damn job and just what his versatility, both in position capability, but also play style. I mean, from playing safety in a game last year, starting as a perimeter cornerback, kicking inside in 2020, you just kind of feel like that's what Josh Boyer is all about embodied in one singular player. I mean, Needham will blitz. He'll get sacks. He'll get forced fumbles. He'll be the forced defender in the running game. He can play 20 yards in the post. He can cover, you know, Cooper Cup in the slot. And, you know, not to mention Needham is just the next guy in this long list of players who came into the league undrafted, went to Josh Boyer's cornerbacks or defensive backs room, or now DC, but he was a cornerbacks coach when Needham got here and turned into an uber productive starter. Malcolm Butler, JC Jackson, to name a couple. Now you've got Nick Needham. Speaking of versatility, that was Elijah Hamilton at Louisiana Tech, corner safety combo. Common theme, ball production for him there. And then finally, Elijah Campbell, who was an absolute ace on special teams last year. So a little bit of everything, but all funneled through the same concept of good, sticky man coverage, length, long speed, ball skills, uh, ability to multiply and mix coverages and disguise coverages. It's a tough room to crack, but with Boyer there as the defensive coordinator, Madison is the cornerbacks coach and Sertan is an assistant. <laughs> Man, it's tough to get more knowledgeable, more experienced, and a better resume than what those guys have put forward in their coaching career. Let's go ahead and meet the cast, but first take our first break. I went a little bit long there. Very excited about this group. Let's take our first break and come back and meet the cast, and then we'll do the AFC South on the other side as well. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All 
All right, back here on the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. Let's go ahead and meet this Dolphins cornerback room cast and get through it here, starting with an order of jersey number, number six, Trill Williams, the thrill. The tail of the tape is, is pretty nice for Trill. Six foot one, 205 pounds. I think he was 208 when he came out. 36-inch vertical, 10.03 on the broad, 1.56, 10-yard split. And a really nice combo of a 74.5-inch wingspan and 9-inch hands that helps him get his hands on opposing receivers. And you could see that at Syracuse where he was just dominant against those college receivers. 693 career coverage snaps and only 701 yards allowed with a 79.1 career passer rating against. And I thought he had a strong camp last year and a good OTA this year as well. Had a pick towards the end of OTAs. He's a good-looking player from the physical specimen standpoint, and he's in a good place to learn and get better at football. Number nine, Noah Igbenogany, year three, and he's still just 22 years old, 23 in November. Physically, again, the exact makeup you want. I've gone back to this rep against Florida in college, against Van Jefferson so many times, where he matches up on Jefferson in the X, the boundary receiver to the short side of the field, with no safety help because they have Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts on the other side of the field that they have to protect against. And Jefferson, who was taken in the third round, largely because he was so dang good as a fluid, crisp, NFL-level route runner, sells the takeoff, comes back down the stem, and in one motion you see Noah, or Igbo, plant his back foot, turn the hips, and drive forward on the football. Like It wasn't even a, like a, a big stat play. It just showed me how he's fluid and moves and, and the way he's comfortable and silky. And he has the big hands, the strength in the upper body and lower body, and that's evident by 15 bench press reps and an absurd 10.08 broad jump. And I think as you watch him compete and you hear the coaches and players talk about just the way he dedicates himself to the game and the fact that he's often in good shape, like the Jaguars touchdown that went over his head last year, he was in great position, but Trevor Lawrence was the first pick in the draft for a reason because he can throw some friggin' dimes and he did. That's what's the old saying. You can't defend a perfect pass. That was a perfect pass. He was in good position and we see it all the time. Like Tyreek Hill had a big play in practice. Igbo was right there, but it was an absolute dime from two and Tyreek ran under it and That's just kind of what he does, but I think it's going to click for him really soon, and he has all the ability in the world locating the football. It's going to be, it's going to come together for him, and it's going to make a really impressive looking player, and I I know only, close only counts, whatever, in horseshoes or whatever the the saying is, but we talk about process here, right, and Igbenogany's process has been good for two years, and I just think he's the kind of player that's going to keep getting better and better, and I say this with regards to playing him at the perimeter corner position, You know, you're putting X and Byron on the bench to get him on the field? I don't think so, Tim. So he's going to find his reps any way he can. His special teams was that way last year, and he really, really did a good job with that. I think it says a lot about his character, and I admire his his effort on special teams. But last year on defense, 55 coverage snaps and just 64 yards against him. Small sample size, but that's where you want to be, right around one, uh, one yard per coverage snap is really good company. Number 22, Elijah Campbell. I loved his work on special teams also last year. Uh, made a handful of plays and just busted his butt in that third phase. In fact, uh, Pro Football Focus has him with zero missed tackles on special teams, uh, as well as on defense in 74 career coverage snaps. So not too bad uh, for Elijah Campbell there. Byron Jones, number 24. We talked about him a lot. He's long, has the recovery speed, the ability to impact a receiver's release at the line, the intelligence for route concept recognition, his ability to mix it up like, hey, this might look like cover three. Nope, it's cover six. I'm staying here. Uh, he and X skills drive what this defense can do with the mixing and confusing and he plays such good man coverage that you don't really get a lot of highlight plays, right? 
but he had his second double-digit pass breakup season last year with 10. The other one was here with the Dolphins the year before. That's an excellent number, especially with how little he's targeted in the passing game. And he's one of the more underappreciated players in football, for my money. And I think his play style is the reason for that, but he allows this defense to play the way that it wants to. He allows them to mix and disguise those coverages. I don't know if you guys saw my tweet about Zach Sealer on fourth down stops last week and how consistent he is in that area, or third down in short, I should say. But my buddy Kevin Dern chimed in about Byron Jones's role on that play that I tweeted from uh, Dante Colinelli, which followed his work. He does great stuff. Uh, where he's inserted inside to help fit the run because, like Baldinger said, he's an exceptional tackler and can even come down and be the forced defender in that aspect of the game. He's a leader. He's studious. He's intelligent and doesn't do it. It just doesn't do enough. I don't think intelligence doesn't do enough to describe his mental acumen for the game. The way he prepares, he's tough, dependable, just under 1,800 snaps on defense in his two years as a Dolphin, almost never misses games. Very important part of this football team. Number 25, Xavier Howard. From one stud to another, (laughs) what can we say about X? I mean, we talked about him with the words of Baldy in the open. I just marvel at his ability to attract interceptable passes when everyone in the world knows what kind of player he is making plays in the football. When I think of vintage X, I think about the pick he made against Ridley and the Falcons last year, or the one against Metcalf and the Seahawks in 2020, or the one against Diggs and the Bills in 2020, or against Crowder and the Jets in 2020. It's a crossing route, an in-breaking route, an over-route typically, where I don't know if it's intentional, but it happens so much that I'm inclined to believe that it is. But he almost like flashes a window at the quarterback to be like, hey, here you go, it's open, take it. (laughs) <laughs> the one against Crowder is a great example because I think, you know, frankly, that, that 2020 Jets tape is one of the best cornerback tapes I've ever seen in my entire life, Dolphins Corner or otherwise, where he presses, allows inside access, plays that underneath trail, and the quarterback then has to throw a perfect ball. If he does, tip the cap. Good job. We'll give you that. But if it's high, there's a safety waiting behind. If it's wide, there's more traffic. And if it's underthrown, don't do that because that's where Xavier Howard is and he's going to vacuum it up. Just what he does. Nobody has more picks than X since 2017. That Broncos game, two picks. The Patriots a couple weeks later, two more picks right there. And he's off to the races with 27 picks and 54 career games from that point. It's crazy. Crazy numbers. Mixed coverages, excel in both both types of coverages, physicality at every phase of the route, elite, elite ball skills, come up, make a tackle, inside hand jam, trail, bait quarterbacks. Very, very crafty. 39.2% completion and 42.2 passer rating when in press coverage since 2020. He's unreal. Number 27, Keon Crossan. Love his energy. Go out to practice this summer, which by the way, we have training camp dates now available for the fans. And you'll see 27 dancing around the football field. Plays like a lightning bolt on both defense and special teams. Very aggressive. He never finished outside the top 64 in the NFL. And think about it, that's a lot of guys covering kicks and, and things of that nature. Never finished outside the top 64 in special teams tackles. And he once clocked a 24 mile per hour fastest speed at his pro day. He can scoot. Number 33, Elijah Hamilton, another one of these long physical DBs. Pro football focus had him with 18 special teams tackles the last three seasons at La Tech and Vanderbilt. Number 35, D'Angelo Ross, a sure tackler who's never been tabbed with a missed tackle in his career from pro football focus. Is tackling important in this defense? I think it is. And that includes 68 snaps on defense and 17 on special teams. Number 36, Quincy Wilson, former second round draft pick, uh, incredibly aggressive and physical, plays like the six foot two, 210 pound cornerback that he is, has not played a lot the last couple of years, but his first two years of the Colts, 88.5 passer rating against and 91.7. 
Number 38, Cater Cahoe, exceptional play speed. Finds the football. Talked about Emery Hunt, big fan of the UDFA pod. He's a 4-4-5 guy, but man, he plays even faster than that. And then finally, number 40, Nick Needham. Sticky coverage and just continues to get better every year. Played safety for the first time in his career last year when the Dolphins were shorthanded. And this was after moving inside in 2020 when he had never played there either. A fantastic example of a team guy that just gets his work done. He had an incredible run that 2020 season against some of the game's best slot receivers, shutting down Tyler Boyd, Cooper Cup, and Keenan Allen, Jamison Crowder as well. Then gets better in his second year in that role to the tune of just 11.5 yards per reception and a passer rating of 81.4 against let's go ahead and take our last break here that's your Dolphins cornerbacks room it's a very very good one we have safeties and specialists left and three more divisional previews we'll do one of those next here with the AFC South next drive time podcast your host Travis Wingfield brought to you by AutoNation BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. back here on a Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I think this is my second to last podcast before heading back home to South Florida, and I can't wait to get back home. It's been a nice little break, but ready to get back home and get back to the routine and get back out to the facility for some practice here coming up in just a matter of a couple of weeks. Let's go ahead and get to our AFC South preview here, starting with the Tennessee Titans, finishing first in the division last year, the one seed in the AFC. <clears throat> And they've become one of the powers in the AFC under head coach Mike Rabel, GM John Robinson, who have hit on some draft picks, added some key pieces throughout free agency and trades, and built a a nasty, really nasty defense to complement their dominant run game, which is all complemented by the style of play that their quarterback utilizes to have produced some of the best numbers in the game since he took over the starting job back in 2019. And that's where the real shift for this team occurred. Since the move to Tannehill off the bench replacing Marcus Mariota in 2019, the Titans are 20 and 13, or, or sorry, scratch that, 30 and 13 with two playoff wins, two advances beyond the first round of the postseason, and one trip to the conference championship game. And that's in three seasons. The three seasons prior to Ryan Tannehill, all nine and seven seasons, one playoff win. One advancement into the divisional round, a 35-14 to 14 drubbing at the hands of the Brady-led Patriots. The Titans lost in the divisional round last year on a last-second field goal, albeit that game was a game because the defense sacked Joe Burrow eight times and the offense did not live up to its end of the bargain. So... <clears throat> It's an organization that stabilized in 2016 with Mariota and those three straight nine-win seasons because prior to that, it was three wins, two wins, seven wins, six, nine, six, eight. You get it in that difficult middle-of-the-pack territory, eventually bottoming out at three and two wins in back-to-back seasons. But where they are now, that's going to be the next big challenge for this team. They pushed past that middle-of-the-pack zone in 2019 to be a team that drafts 25th and lower every year. Now, can they go from contender to winner. 
and it'll have to be with a largely remade roster. That offensive line's not really intact anymore, and we know how well they played to help give them that running game and explosive play-action game where Tannehill really shines. Plus, it's year two of the post-Arthur Smith offense, which endured a bit of a dip last season, though you could chalk that up to the outrageous number of injuries. Because consider this, Derrick Henry played just 411 snaps last year. A.J. Brown, 604. He's gone this year. Julio Jones, 393. He's also gone. Anthony Ferkser, 393. Also gone. Taylor Lewan missed four games. He's back. And then uh, Roger Saffold missed two games. He also was gone this year. And still, still, they were the number one seed. Crazy. This team and this league and this game are all crazy. But one last thing about this team, they are not afraid of drafting potential medical concerns like remember Jeffrey Simmons coming off the ACL that year in the draft he actually missed the first seven games of his career but now he's an eight and a half sack D tackle 16 hit 12 tackle for loss type of guy absurd numbers for an interior D lineman they're hoping to get the same jump in from last year's number one Caleb Farley arguably the top quarterback in the class but back surgery sent him off the field for all but three games they've typically done their best drafting on day two A.J. Brown, Harold Landry, Elijah Molden, Derek Henry, Kevin Bayard, Jonu Smith. But again, lots of transition this year. Let's go ahead and see what they did in the offseason. New receiver Robert Woods, I think, is a great acquisition for this run-heavy offense. He's a great blocker and receiver as well. Offensive lineman Jamarco Jones, tight end Austin Hooper, and a nice pickup on defensive end Demarcus Walker to give them another bullet as a pass rusher. Receivers are gone are receivers A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Offensive lineman Roger Saffold and David Kess- David. Davis Questenberry, linebacker Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans, tight end Anthony Ferkser, running back Deontay Foreman, and safety Dane Kruikshank. In the draft, they replaced A.J. Brown with, the, with that draft pick with Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Number two, cornerback Roger McCreary. He's a really, really physically gifted cornerback. Uh, if, I think if he had longer arms, he'd have been an easy first-round pick out of Auburn. A num- in the third round, offensive tackle Nicholas Petit-Ferrer from Ohio State and quarterback Malik Willis out of Liberty. And that's the first storyline right there because the quarterback storyline is as juicy as there is in the league, you would think, right? But maybe not as juicy as we would like as fans because, again, go back and look at the Tannehill or the Titan numbers post-Tannehill and pre-Tannehill. It's going to be tough to unseat that guy. And Derrick Henry's numbers as a pro took off for a top 10 offense the last three years after Tannehill's arrival, and yet here he is battling a rookie, or is he? Because I think the Titans taking Willis in the first round, yeah, game on, maybe even in the second round, but he was there and they picked at 86, and the report on Willis, you know, from uh, Lance Zerline is that he's as physically gifted as they come, but his college offense at Liberty was hardly portable to a system you would see at the next level, so maybe it's more like a two, three-year investment. Not as spicy, but it certainly is interesting. I said it was interesting. Other storylines for this Titans team, can the defense replicate what they've been doing the last couple of years? Up front, that D-line has just been so nasty, and it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the defense. they got some guys in the back end as well, but they have to replace a couple of guys at key positions. Again, receiver is a spot they have to replace with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, even though both guys played limited snaps last year. Uh, Anthony Ferks are going to tight end. The two offensive linemen, the two guards, have to find replacements there. And then also at linebacker with uh, Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans have to find replacements there. Just a lot of uh, turnover for this Titans team. Moving on to the Indianapolis Colts, who finished second last year and and missed the playoffs where it looked like they were going to get in. And like with most teams, it starts at quarterback. But for the Colts, that's been the mystery area for the last few years. I mean, they're hoping Matt Ryan can be at least the effective stopgap solution for Andrew Luck. 
They had to endure that tough season back in 2019 when he first retired. Then 2020 with Phillip Rivers have a successful one where they're taking shots into the end zone to potentially upset the number two seed Buffalo Bills that year as a seven seed. Then last year, they have a chance to beat the last place team in the NFL to get into the postseason and they can't do it, which leads to another change. And Matt Ryan, who I just think the world of, I mean, I think they've gotten it right here, even if for two or three years, that's plenty good to complement this roster they've been building with really effective drafting for the last handful of years. Chris Ballard deserves a lot of credit for the job he's done there. I mean, this team was a team that some were predicting would get into the playoffs last year and make a serious run to the AFC. And given how the playoffs played out last year, they might have, but you can't slip up against a two and 14 or I guess two and 15 three and finish three and 14 in the final game. You just can't do it. And they did. Maybe it's only a little fair that this team had to endure some turmoil at quarterback after 20 plus years of Manning to luck, but that didn't stop them from building one of the game's best O-lines led by the best in the business on the inside in Quentin Nelson. And they paired that with arguably the best running back in football in Jonathan Taylor. And they build their offense around the ability to run the football, but also be very effective passing out of rundown sets, 12 personnel, 13 personnel, on and on and on. Just look at their 2020 draft class. Michael Pittman Jr. stud. Jonathan Taylor, duh. Jonathan Blackman's a stud, or Julian Blackman rather, is a stud. 2019, they land Rakia Sin, who turned into Yannick Ngakwe. Paris Campbell should start at receiver as well. Bobby Okariki, one of those explosive linebackers they have. Then you go back to 2018 to see where it all started and why Colts fans with that Sam Darnold trade back with the Jets were so distraught when Luck left because it looked like they had finally put together a good team and a really, really good offensive line around him with Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, the great linebacker there, back to the offensive line with Braden Smith, and they also got Kamoko Ture and Naheem Hines in that class. So you've got a roster that's as complimentary of itself as any in the league, and you have a head coach with a creative offensive mind, great leadership, and the ability to connect with his players, and now a new defensive coordinator hoping to find the same secret sauce that Matt Eberflus, now the head coach of the Bears, had cooked up for a few years here. Let's see what they did in the offseason here. At quarterback, new Matt Ryan, you know about that. They also brought Nick Foles to reunite with Frank Reich. Cornerback, Stephon Gilmore. That could be a big, big get for them. Running back, Philip Lindsay. Safety, Rodney McLeod. Offensive tackle, Dennis Kelly. Cornerback, Brandon Faison. And running back, Tyson Williams, formerly of the Ravens. Gone is quarterback, Carson Wentz. Defensive end, Yannick Ngakwe. Is, or I should say Yannick Ngakwe is on the new additions. I don't know why I have him on this part of the list, but he's here. He's new. Receiver T.Y. Hilton is gone. We'll see if he comes back. He's not signed anywhere yet. Offensive guards Mark Glowinski and Chris Reed. Those could be interesting losses. Those are good players. Defensive end Al-Qadon Muhammad. Cornerback Rakia Sin. Safety George Odom. Running back Marlon Mack. And defensive lineman Kamoko Ture all gone. In the draft, no first round pick this year. That was sent to the Falcons. Number two receiver Alec Pierce, or no, rather to the to the Eagles for Carson Wentz. Uh, the receiver Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati was the second round pick. In the third round, they and they get three players: Jelani Woods, the tight end out of Virginia Tech, who I think is a great fit there. The offensive tackle Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan University, and safety Nick Cross from Maryland. Storylines here with this team: Does the Buck stop here at quarterback? I think it does, at least for a few years. Matt Ryan, last year at training camp, it was. It was surgical to watch the way he defended this ferocious Dolphins defense that really threw the kitchen sink at him. And he had answers, like not every time, but he had plenty of answers to different rushes. And he's just so good at doing that. 
some really difficult circumstances last year with the Falcons that began in earnest in 2019. The Lions haven't been good. Julio leaves, Calvin Ridley out for much of the year. But I think the real storyline here is how Chris Ballard has been able to take those shots on the chin. And not to say that he missed, you know, because I thought Rivers was plenty good in 2020, but the retirement put them back in that same boat and then they missed on Wentz. And it turns out to not be so bad at all because they recoup a third round a, a, a third round for a swap of twos and a seventh round pick last year. That's pretty good if you ask me. I've mentioned so many damn times in this series how 32 teams offer 32 unique approaches. I mean, would you ever guess a team could be a playoff outfit or even a threat to make a postseason run as this team has been under Frank Reich each year when they've had, you know, different quarterbacks every year? It's it's amazing. Eberflus is out, Gus Bradley in, some crossover in system there, but Eberflus really maximized that unit and did a great job unlocking all of Darius Leonard's potential, that linebacker position. Can Bradley pick up where he left off? The tight end room, nobody has a cooler passing offense from 13 personnel than Frank Reich, the master of getting to four verts from any grouping or look. You add Jelani Woods, who can block and is a matchup issue to go along with one of the best blocking tight ends in football in Mo Alley-Cox and a quartet of guys looking to fulfill the absence of Jack Doyle. It's just uniquely built, and it leads to a, a receiver room that they haven't put a ton of resources in because, you know, on paper it looks thin, but when you go 12 personnel and remain flexible with Jonathan Taylor in the backfield in your running game, man, that's a good spot to be. And even then they add Alec Pierce in the second round, which should be a nice boost to that room with Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell. Then you add the running backs again, probably the best in the league in terms of the room. Jonathan Taylor is elite. Naheem Hines is freaking awesome. They get Philip Lindsay and Tyson Williams. CJ Verdell was probably the best back in the Pac-12 last year before he got hurt. And then finally, up front, the way they play on defense is fast in the second level, strong and big up front. Quiddy Pay, uh, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and Yannick Ngakwe is so good. We'll see who steps up and provides depth up front, but that group is good. It's, it allows the linebackers to be who they are up front as best they can as well. The Houston Texans, the last two teams in the division certainly have an interesting path here, pass with plenty of obstacles and turmoil that they appear to be beyond at this point. For the Texans, we all know about this, the Laramie Tunsil trade. They get one of the game's best left tackles, but at a similar cost to what Russell Wilson cost this year for the Broncos, three premium draft picks, and they couldn't have known this, but that 2021 third overall draft pick was legitimately one of the best landing spots for that pick and acquiring another haul, which Miami did, and took Jalen Waddle in the process. Very, very nice. But that was such a good spot to be because the, the quarterbacks in that draft, 1-2 was pretty obvious, quarterback, quarterback. Getting yourself in a position to trade back with another quarterback needy team in that spot was such a, just a, a treasure trove of draft picks. So it's been a bare cupboard lately for Houston. They signed a bunch of free agents last year, but managed to overachieve, I think, with four wins. You know, I can't recall a single pundit predicting more than two or three last year. They dismissed their coach. They bring back Lovey Smith. And then, in my opinion, destroyed this year's draft. I mean, I love this class as much as any. They picked third in back-to-back years or were scheduled to before trades or you know after the trades had been made official. Made a run to the AFC Divisional round with a 24-0 lead in that round against the Chiefs as recently as 2019. But then that game goes in the opposite direction. And that was kind of the beginning of the end there for Houston. They see their quarterback go away. DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt all depart in the last three off seasons, and they've been as busy as any team these last couple of off seasons. Let's go ahead and take a look at what they did this year. New is offensive guard AJ Can, linebacker Jalen Reeves Mabin, cornerbacks Isaac Yadam, and cornerback Fabian Moreau. Moreau's a good pickup. Safety MJ Stewart, defensive end Rasheem Green, love his game. Running back Dare Ogunbowale from the Jaguars, linebacker Blake Kosh. 
Cashman, guard Scott Kessenberry of the Titans, defensive end Ogbonia Oroquanwo, and quarterback Kyle Allen. Gone is quarterback Deshaun Watson and Tyrod Taylor. Safety Justin Reed, a great player. Defensive end Demarcus Walker. Cornerbacks Lonnie Johnson and Terrace Mitchell and tight end Jordan Akins. In the draft, they get Derek Stingley, the best cornerback in the draft for my money, the best guard in Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, the best safety in Jalen Petrie out of Baylor, one of the best slot receivers and receiver John Mechie out of Bama, one of the best coverage linebackers in Bama linebacker Christian Harris, and one of the best pass-protecting running backs in Damian Pierce out of Florida. The storylines here, restock draft cupboards after years of having no premium picks. They're armed to build their roster the way they see fit. This year is key for finding out what they need. Rookies playing a lot of snaps. Another storyline here, Stingley, Green, Petre, Meche. Should all start, honestly. Maybe Harris, too. And then Davis Mills. Hard to argue that he was probably the third, if not the second best rookie quarterback last year. Who had that in their bingo card uh, in a very attractive quarterback class? Can he take another step and take the Texans, which have a lot of picks, out of the frame of mind that they'll use that pick on a quarterback? It's his job. The quarterback depth behind him doesn't have a lot of experience or resume, so it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out. But he has a chance to put a stranglehold on the the, uh, keys of the franchise there. And they won a lot more than folks thought they would last year, including a tremendous late season win over the Chargers and finishing the season two and three over the final five games. They had like 28 free agent contracts last year, and a large portion of those were one-year bridge type of deals. That helped them uncover a couple of gems, but can they improve upon the four wins? We'll see. Lovey back in the head coaching chair, a big storyline there. Will he play more modern style defense or stick with that Tampa 2 Curious to see how that goes. And this is the team the Dolphins play this year from the South. Week 12, November 27th, 1 o'clock. Dolphins coming off a bye for that contest. We finish up with the Jacksonville Jaguars. One and done for Urban Meyer last year. And you've heard plenty of collective breath of fresh air from the players talking in their pressers and the excitement of getting an accomplished, experienced Doug Peterson in the building who has built a really nice coaching staff there and had a busy offseason of his own. This team's path is probably the most mind-blowing of any team we've talked about now 24 teams in now years of rough seasons landed them one of the most talented defenses we've seen in the last decade because they took top five top 10 picks year after year on that defense and Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack and Josh Allen and on and on and on and they rode that defense all the way to the AFC title game appearance where they had a 10 point lead over the Brady Patriots in the final quarter but with Miles Jack's departure this offseason there are exactly zero starters from that team remaining and the results have gone back to pre-2017 they extend Blake Bortles after that that did not work excuse me they changed coaches they traded first round picks within the same year They've made big swings on free agents, which they did this year again, and they just haven't gotten the results, at least in the win column. I still look at this team as one of the, some of its parts is really greater than the record would say they were, and it's up to the up to Peterson to get this team on the right track and perhaps his chief responsibility, take the quarterback with maybe some of the most college buzz coming out of the draft in the last decade and maximize that number one overall potential on Trevor Lawrence. I'm not sure how the Jag season is going to go this year, but I know they won't be boring, and that's as much as you can ask of any team in football. Let's go ahead and see their offseason. Offensive guard Brandon Scherf is new, a big get for them. Cornerback Darius Williams, another great get. And then tight end Evan Ingram, if he can bounce back and stay healthy, is a big get. Receiver Zay Jones and Christian Kirk, Reese had the receiver market this offseason. Defensive end Arden Key, linebacker Foisade, Olakun, and interior defensive lineman Fale Fadakusi. That's a good little haul there on the defensive front with Key, Fadakusi, and Olakun. And gone is guard Andrew Norwell, 
and guard AJ Can, linebacker Damian Wilson and Dakota Allen, defensive end Jihad Ward, defensive tackle Taven Bryan, tight ends James O'Shaughnessy and Jacob Hollister, receiver DJ Chark, and running back Dare Ogunbowale. In the draft, first round, two picks, Trayvon Walker from Georgia, just a freak off the edge, and Devin Lloyd, a linebacker from Utah. I absolutely love his game too. Love the third round picks, offensive center Luke Fortner from Kentucky, smart athletic player, and linebacker Chad Muma out of Wyoming. They got lots of linebackers this offseason. Some storylines here, an awesome staff put together by Peterson with Press Taylor OC, Jim Bob Coots, as I call him, Jim Bob Cooter, the passing game coordinator, Mike McCoy, quarterbacks, Bernie Parmley's on staff, Todd Washington, Mike Caldwell as the DC. You got Brenson Buckner there as well. Lots of players turned to good coaches. Can they get Trevor Lawrence playing at his potential? his full capability. I'm very excited to see the year two of Trevor Lawrence, the golden prospect, right? How does Travis Etienne get his playing time? They talked about James Robinson as their three down guy. Etienne lost his rookie season to injury, but man, he's explosive. And what does the defense look like with the additions of Ola Kuhn, Devin Lloyd, and Chad Muma? That's a lot of resources into that position. Then the depth up front they suddenly have with Josh Allen, Kayvon Chase on Trayvon Walker off the edge. That's three first round picks in four years, including number one and number six overall. Also, they got Arden Key and Dwayne Smoot, plus Malcolm Brown, Devon Hamilton, Jay Tufalele, adding Fali Fadakusi. Like, there are some dudes here. And in the back seven, we mentioned the linebackers, but I mean, Tyson Campbell was a hit. They go out and get Darius Williams, who has a case as a top 10 cornerback last year. And then Shaquille Griffin, Trey Herndon. That's a good cornerback group, man. Then just going from Meyer to Peterson in general, I'm not exactly sure what the storyline is there, but it is one. Storylines of this division, can they produce more than one playoff team? We shall see about that. They haven't for a while now, and this, this I guess, Titans and Colts are battling for that. Who takes the top of the division crown? Can these teams with some upstart young quarterbacks and new coaches, can they kind of revitalize the division and get that basement higher than it has been? That's really the only thing I have for this division. It's It hasn't been one of the better ones over the last couple of years. We'll see if they can get that turned around. The divisional awards, my quarterback is Ryan Tannehill. The non-quarterback on offense, does it have to be Derrick Henry? Does, did Jonathan Taylor take it over last year? Is it just Quentin Nelson? I'm going to take Derrick Henry. On defense, Jeffrey Simmons, the coach, Frank Reich. Breakout player, that's yeah, as tough to me. Travis Etienne, who I want to pick. Christian Kirk, maybe, because he's a damn good player who gets a lot of, you know, talked about the salary a lot. Julian Blackman off the Achilles, Quiddy Pay, Elijah Molden. I'm taking Travis Etienne. Forget it. The rookie's Kenyon Green for me. I think he was the best guard in college football. I think he's going to pick up right where he left off. Derek Stingley's the other one there. And then maybe Devin White. I don't know. Division, or yeah, yeah, Devin White. De, uh, no, no, uh, Devin Lloyd. Why did I put Devin White? Division champion, I'm taking the Colts. That's it. That's all. Long podcast. Let's go ahead and get out of here. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ, as well as our Twitter Spaces show coming back, I think, one week before camp is the plan. I think. I'm not quite sure on that yet. I'll get back to you on that. Also, check out the YouTube channel for all the media availabilities. We have Dolphins Today on there. The Drive Time and Fish Tank interviews are on there as well. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy's coming home.